and welcome back to part two of Fixin' to Talk Sports's What If Scenarios. I am your host, Ryan Brown, still with my new co-host, Dan Sadik here. And we, after, uh, I had a blast on part one. I don't know about you, Dan, but we're back to finish off and talk some more What If Scenarios, part two. Dude. Part one was so much fun. We we planned to do like, uh, you know, let's, you know, maybe do like 45 or whatever. Turns out, you know, at least well over an hour. So you love to see that. And it's fun going through these scenarios because like just so much changes and like so much can happen. There's so much to talk about. And that's why it's it's a good it's a good thing to to go through. It's like as a sports fan, it's like you're like almost like going through like a, some sort of like therapy session of like, all right, if this didn't happen, how would my dreams and my fandom have been altered? And how would my heart have been broken this way and all this other stuff? So it's great. I love it. That is so true. And we've got some more scenarios here that we want to go through. And I think this one, the first one that we're going to be doing is very near and dear to your heart. What if, what if Shaquille O'Neal, the big diesel, the big cactus was never traded by the LA Lakers? What if he stayed in LA? It's a great what if, and it is very near and very dear to my heart because, you know, Shaq started his career in Orlando, obviously. And had some success, you know, ultimately gets, uh, you know, gets moved and goes to the Lakers. And he's teamed up with one of the greatest of all time, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And they end up being this great dynamic duo, just borderline unstoppable when they are at the peak of their powers, when Kobe really started to develop and Shaq was the alpha of that team, um, especially, you know, being the MVP of those finals, uh, the three straight that they won, no one has done it since. No one has uh, three-peated since. And, you know, when I think about that that trade, uh, Shaq being traded to the Miami Heat, ultimately, you know, it, it just shortened the life of what could have been. And who knows if, if, if they get along, you know, because there were tensions, you know, between Shaq and Kobe and whatever. But they also had one of the most decorated coaches of all time, Phil Jackson. So, like, they were just one of those, like, again, the stars align. You have a dynasty. You have something that could last for well over a decade to 15 years where you maximize that kind of window that you have. And they end up moving Shaq. And it it just sucks because I think – on a, on a, you know, macro level here, the, the Lakers win at least um, on top of what they won um, in 09, 010. There's probably at least one more sprinkled in there. If not more than that, I mean, we're getting crazy like six or seven because they did win five, even uh, without Shaq overall, they end up winning two more without Shaq, but you keep him there and you keep him with, uh, Kobe Bryant, and you just think of what they could have done. Obviously, he goes to a great duo. Shaq still wins another title with Miami, but you keep that 
what you had there. And there's just so much that could have happened, man. Yeah, so let's kind of set the table of where the Lakers were at at that point before Shaq gets traded. They were coming off a finals loss. Their first, It was their fourth trip to the finals in five years, but it was the first time they came up short in the finals uh, where they lost to, I believe it was the Detroit Pistons. Is that if uh, my memory yeah. serves me correctly? Um, but it was also a season filled with distractions. They had signed uh, some kind of like, low-key veteran guys like Gary Payton who were at the back end of their career to try and kind of bring in more of a championship pedigree to help them get back to where they wanted to be and ended up coming up short. But with all the distractions, I mean, there was the, there was the Kobe sort of uh, uh, the allegations with Kobe I believe it was sexual assault allegations. I don't remember exactly what they were, but they were constantly in the news. And then Shaq and Kobe were constantly bickering with each other. Tensions were high there. And then ultimately what happened was that, uh, and I'm not sure if this is exactly how it played out, but to some degree, the, the, the ownership and the front office sided with Kobe Bryant and they decided that a change was necessary at, at head coach. And so Phil Jackson was given the boot. He wanted a pay raise. I think he wanted his salary doubled from like six mil to 12 mil. And the team just balked at it and said, uh, no, how about instead you just leave? And Kobe got his new coach and whatnot. And that just ultimately put Shaq over the top. And when the GM, Mitch Kupchak, said, yeah, we 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 would trade Shaq. We we would listen to that. Shaq was like, "All right, fine, trade me, do it," and so they did. And so that's kind of where that kind of led up to. Now, if if Shaq had instead not been traded, I don't know if they figure things out between Kobe and Shaq. I I really don't, Dan. So yeah. I I honestly I feel like if if Shaq stays. It's because ownership in the front office sides with Shaq, the guy who brought won all those finals MVPs, the one who put them over the top. And you get Kobe traded elsewhere instead. Now, I think that means that Phil Jackson stays in town. He never leaves the team. He was only gone for a year, but he never leaves to begin with. Then. But I think the major implications is that I feel like that's one of the two gets traded. And if it's not Shaq, then it's got to be Kobe because they just, they were, it just felt like it was at a, a breaking point between the two. I don't think they could coexist anymore. So I feel like they, they were at the point where they had, somebody had to go. If they choose to keep Shaq over Kobe, the Lakers title window wouldn't have been as long as it was with Kobe because Shaq, when when Kobe is winning those championships with the Lakers in 2009-2010, uh, Shaq is on the verge of retirement. He played, the, I think, his final season in 2011 with the Celtics before he... he had, 2011 uh, season, he retired when I got home from school. It was one of the saddest days of my life. Yeah, but Kobe is still like at the, at the top of his game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winning championships with Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. And the likes, whereas Shaq is is just trying to 
find a team that he could hop onto and just provide a, a big presence, veteran presence uh, in a reserve role. And so uh, the Lakers championship window isn't as great. Who knows if they win those two championships with only Shaq, the roster construction becomes completely different. So what I mean by that is they don't draft Andrew Bynum when they do, because they've got Shaq still, and he's still wicked good. And then I don't think they trade for Paul Gasol either. And then the, the, which means if you're keeping Shaq in town, then like you said, the Miami championship with D Wade, they don't win it all in 06. Dallas probably wins it that year. And Dallas adds another championship before the one in 2011. 2011, yep. So that adds another kind of uh, chip for the Dirk Nowitzki stands. I mean, obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer, but he even adds to his legacy even more, probably, if he gets a title even earlier than 2011. Um, But I I ultimately, I, I just feel like there was no way that they they could keep the two of them. If, if they did, if they did keep both of them, I 100% agree with you, Dan. I think they win even more championships. They, they get back to that level of winning back-to-back championships even sooner than Kobe did. But I just don't know if they could resolve their, they would have been able to resolve their issues. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I, I just feel like Kobe would have gotten the boot. And then who knows where Kobe Bryant gets traded to. And, that just completely alters the course of history because Kobe is no longer a lifelong Laker and he's not seen in the same regard as he is today. Yeah. I just a a little nugget. I would have liked if they were to have moved Kobe as much as this pains me as, you know, as a Celtics fan um, as well. Like I think, a good spot for him would have been his, his home, uh, Philly. Um, but yeah, it, you're probably right in that someone had to go and they chose to cut bait with Shaq. Um, and, and obviously Shaq's career at that point, like he was starting, he was at the back end of his primer or, or at least sort of on, on that, on that fence of it, because he still had, you know, a couple really good years in Miami he, he was still an all-star uh, with Phoenix, but ultimately, once he got to Cleveland, he was done, and he barely, barely had a cup of coffee w- with the Celtics. I mean, barely. So, like, it, yeah, like, the, the Lakers, ultimately, if one had to go, they made the right call. Like, they definitely made the right decision in who to let go if, if it had to be one of them. So... But, yeah, I just think if, if they somehow could have mended fences and kept it together, it, it would have been historic. It still was historic. But, you know, what they did, no one's touched since. No one has three-peated since the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. So, yeah. at least they still have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, even in the – I don't want to know if you where the modern era sort of begins in the NBA, but – I mean, whenever you think of three-peat in the modern era, you think of Jordan and his two three-peats. Yep. And the fact that he went 6-0. and Well, the Lakers went 3-0 and to start. And, yeah, they ended up losing that one, that one finals to the Pistons, and that kind of 
set things in motion like that final that felt like the nail in the coffins in terms of the Kobe Shaq relationship. But uh, if if that if they ended up winning that one and then they both stick around, they put the differences aside. Maybe we're talking about Shaq and Kobe in in the same vein as we do uh, Jordan and Pippen. Right. And that's that's a, that's a conversation that I don't think anyone has ever really thought about. Maybe they have, but if if they had stayed for a lot longer together, I, I don't. I think that is some a virtual certainty as long as they would have as long as they put their differences aside and coexisted. Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more. I, it's just, it's, 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 it's one of those things where I didn't even think of like one had to go versus the other until you brought it up. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're right. I I, I think that's pretty spot on. Like I was just a, a lot, just a lot of turmoil. And yeah, like if that damn Pistons team, man, they just didn't like bring in Rashid Wallace, like, and if they just didn't have, like, or I don't know, like, I'd throw my tinfoil cap on and say, like, huh, maybe, uh, you know, Tim Tim Donahue had uh, some play in in, in one of those uh, <laughs> in the playoffs for the Lakers. I don't know. I'm just saying, just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now let's let's kind of move on to our next one, which is. Uh, more of a New England-based one. Our boy Tom Brady. Everyone knows that after the 2019 season, he ended up making the decision to leave and go to Tampa Bay. He ended up winning a Super Bowl with the Bucs in 2020 and has his Bucs team clicking to start off the 2021 season, currently undefeated 2-0. And on a 10-game win streak, no less. But what if Brady stayed with the Patriots after 2019? The Pats were coming off a 12 and four season in which they started eight. No, they had, they had everyone in the media buzzing that, Oh, are they going to, are they going to kind of repeat with Oh seven? Are they going to try and and make another Oh seven ish type run? Well, that kind of sputtered right before the bye week. And then they ultimately went four and four down the stretch. The wheels start just coming, falling off. They end up losing out on a first round bye, and have to play a wild card game at home against an upstart Tennessee team coached by former Patriots linebacker, Mike Frable. And they come into Foxborough and they win. So in terms of Brady, he had thrown in that 2019 season the least amount of touchdowns since 2006. I don't count the 2008 season where he tore his ACL week one. And then he had his worst completion percentage since 2013. I think we we're both in agreement that he had very few weapons left on offense at the time. Edelman was on his last legs and others that they had brought in signed drafted just weren't panning out or were struggling to say the least. So the ultimate question here, Dan, is what if Brady stayed with the Pats instead of leaving for greener pastures in Tampa Bay? So I think I think the Patriots are still a good team, but I think they put themselves in a spot with their drafting 
um, and poor drafting, especially with skill positions like, you know, wide receiver, running back, what have you, um, that they, unless they made a couple like miracle moves or if, you know, like I go back to like the Antonio Brown thing and it's like, you know, if he didn't do all the shit that he did and it lasted with the Patriots, things could have been a lot different too there. That's a whole different like conversation for that season. But I think that if Brady stayed with the Patriots, they're still a playoff team, but barring some sort of like miracle with, you know, the wide receiver spot, or if he just reinvested himself the way he used to and the way he is with Tampa right now um, at like 110%, you know, not missing anything, not missing any OTAs, not missing any training camps. They're still a Super Bowl contender. It's just coming into to what the AFC, uh, the AFC is now. It, it, it just, oh, it just would have been a lot harder because we saw what he did with Tampa with all the weapons he had, and albeit not a good, well-run organization. And it's still, you know, yes, he won the Super Bowl with them, but it took a lot, and he needed to have a lot around him as well. And he's still a great quarterback, but with this group, I just don't see them being – I feel like 2019 almost like repeats itself in different forms um, if he stays because I just don't think that the roster building – um, during the time, um, especially, like I said, the drafting was good. They, and they kept missing on guys. They, they screwed up with Antonio Brown. They screwed up with Muhammad Sanu. Um, they, they weren't utilizing their assets in a good way for, for Brady and for the offense. And I just don't think, I think 2018 was like, that was like, you know, no matter what, I think that was probably going to be their last Super Bowl with or without Brady leaving, just because I think just a lot of things were going to have to happen. And Brady's going to be getting paid more now. And I know like you can move the cap and stuff, but it just, they wouldn't have that advantage anymore. And I just don't think it ultimately in the long run, I don't think it would have granted them any more Super Bowls. Yeah. I think for me, if he doesn't leave, obviously Tampa Bay doesn't win it all in 2020. That's just stating the obvious. And then the other fallout is that Cam Newton never signs with New England. So we, the Patriots fans don't have to suffer through that. Although I very much enjoy that. So I never get my Cam Newton jersey. So I'm a sad boy. And But it also another big part is Gronk probably never comes out of retirement. We're seeing him this year in 2021 having a, a, a renaissance resurgence so far in the regular season last year, he was just trying to get his feet underneath him. And at times he looked like the old Gronk, but he often kind of just fell into the shadows into the background with the team, with how many weapons they had on offense. And ultimately he would pop off and have gr- some great games from time to time, especially when it mattered. But ultimately more often than not, he wasn't, he really wasn't a focal point of that offense. Now he's already become that just to start 2021. And that never happens if Brady stays because Brady doesn't talk Gronk out of retirement. Yeah. And the other Gronk, big, Gronk wasn't going to play for Bill again. No way. Yeah. The other big thing is that if the Patriots are continually a playoff team, 
and Brady's still around, they're not drafting a quarterback in the 2020 draft. They're not getting a high as high of a draft pick as they did where they were kind of there. They were at 20, uh, 15 and they don't, they don't get a chance to, tr- to select Mac Jones because let's face it. They, they had an opportunity to trade up for Justin Fields that year and they didn't do it. They just let sat back and let Mac Jones fall into the lap. If Brady's still the quarterback and they're picking in the twenties, Mac Jones doesn't make it to them most likely. And and we don't know who the quarterback of the future is for New England because they probably haven't still haven't drafted anyone yet. And we're just sitting in that kind of, like you said, that we're always in the playoffs. We're always a threat to make a run, but we're really, we're really past the point where we're a serious threat because the tight, we just tight ends have been become a disaster. They've struck out on all of them. Yes. The offensive line is good. I disagree with with where you, you say the running backs is questionable in terms of the draft because I mean Damian Harris and Sony Michelle. Damian Harris is really good. He's not so much a pass catcher. Um, Sony Michelle was meh. I'll give you that one. James White, I think I, I don't remember if he was a draft pick or undrafted or not, but he's panned out to be a, a great asset for the team. Um, and who knows with Ramon J. Stevenson? Only time will tell with that. But I, I think. I totally agree with the wide receivers that just receivers in general, they have not been able to figure that out in recent years. And it just got to the point where Brady just did not have the patience to work with these young guys that couldn't get up to speed with him quick enough. And once you got a B out of town, once Edelman was on his last legs and ultimately called it quits, it's just a whole lot of nothing there for Brady to work with. So if if Brady stays right, it, he loses Edelman after last year. So coming into this year, he's got what he's got a whole lot of nothing to work with. Who knows if they spend as much as they do if they still have Brady? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I'm not sure. But if if the same same old thing just continued, then I I don't I really don't know. I, I it just it just seems like the Patriots would have just been stuck in that. We're good. We're really good. We're holding, we're, and we're just trying to hold on to that that championship dynasty pedigree that we've built over the past two decades. But we're really not a serious threat because the Chiefs, the Ravens, and now the Bills are far more serious threats in our own conference. Yeah, absolutely. They just they just wouldn't have enough. They just wouldn't have quite enough again unless they pulled off some ridiculous, you know. Trade or again, like, you know, stuff, stuff happened in the past that like really fell into their lap or really helped um, just keep the dynasty flowing. Like a freaking college quarterback turned wide receiver, you know, that ends up being one of your best wide receivers in franchise history comes after you move on from one of the other greatest slot receivers in Patriots history. So it's like, you have a lot of these things happening that are like that are great and it's due to being a great organization, but you don't just get that every single time. And again, like who knows, like someone could have developed, but like if Brady stayed, I think it's really like, again, like a three year window and you don't have the time to develop a new Edelman and a new Gronk and all this stuff. And yeah, they, they, they would have been like kind of sort of what the worst thing to be in the NBA is, is a, is a pretty good team 
but not enough to get over the hump and you just be in that cycle until you moved on or he retired. Yep. And so I think the consensus is between us here. If Brady stays, the Patriots just keep on churning out double digit win seasons, but it's just, they don't feel like true championship contenders until some sort of big move is made, whether it's Brady leaving, whether it's bringing in, type of guys like they did in 07 bringing in guys like Randy Moss um, and so forth to try and reinvigorate the offense um, so I, I we'd definitely be in a far different place with the Patriots than we are today I'm not sure if it would be for the best though no probably not yeah Moving on to our next scenario, we're going to dip into the world of professional wrestling as we love to do here on Fixing the Tuck Sports from time to time. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, professional wrestlers of all time in terms of character is Stone Cold Steve Austin. The, the way he just transcended the business, became a mainstream star in his own right, uh, is a story that Everyone knows you, you talk, you say stone cold, every, pretty much anyone who's anyone knows what they're talking about. What not everyone realizes is that his career was cut far too short due to injuries, mainly uh, a broken neck that temporarily paralyzed him uh, as he was tombstoned, dropped on his head uh, awkwardly. Um, and that kind of uh, on top of other, kind of serious injuries that he had picked up over the years, whether it was his degraded knees, which everyone knew about because he was always wearing the double knee braces or messing up his arms and, or whatnot. The neck just kind of was the neck was kind of that last nail in the coffin, so to speak for his long-term career outlook. But what if stone cold Steve Austin didn't retire early because his injuries weren't so bad what if he never suffered a broken neck what if his injuries didn't pile up and he had some good knees on those legs what, what do you think his his career outlook looks like dan well i think that he already you know he already was a cemented like this guy you know gonna be a wwe hall of famer he's already immortalized like we already know that just today the dude is a meme he's a he's a gif he's he's everything and he's still involved in the business but if he could have stayed in the ring without those injuries just uh, he was all again he was already pretty decorated he held 19 championships throughout his tenure like just during that time and being a six-time wwf champion he already did a lot and but him and the rock were they had something so special and if that like could have just kept going. Like we're just talking about more all-time matches, more all-time storylines, and I think that the growth of re of of wrestling or or just the mainstream um, growth of pro wrestling at that time, it just would have kept going upward on that trend. Not that it didn't still go upward; it did. It still is. But I I, I think that his career could have been, he could have been all time. Like I'm talking like the greatest of all time. 
and he's still in the conversation, I think. But like if he could have had a full on career, it would have been amazing to see what he would have evolved into. Cause like technically, like he's not the, you know, he's not one of the best technical wrestlers, but just the show that he puts on when you hear the glass shatter, it just for wrestling fans to get that for a few more years. Cause like he retired in 2003, you know, and that, that was at a time where, you know, the, the attitude era was sort of, you know, you know, closing whatever or starting to come to a close ish, but he could have furthered that, you know, and some of the, the gnarly like WWF and WWE stuff that they did. I, I feel like he was always pushing that envelope. Um, and so without him there, that's just a presence that you lose. Like I can to him retiring early for me, it'd be like if someone like the undertaker retired early and like, you lose so much. Think about how much if the Undertaker retired in, in, in 03, Ryan. Think about how many matches and moments and stories have been told since then about that man. Yep. I mean, think, just think about Stone Cold could have done. Yeah, go. I mean, I mean, the just the streak for the Taker is the first thing that comes to mind. You you don't he just ends undefeated at what whatever it was, like eleven and oh or something like that. Yep. It's it's it doesn't reach the twenty one and O that it does, um, but for Stone Cold, I mean, if if he's able to wrestle for years to come, rather than being forced into retirement at the age of thirty nine, I mean, he be, he then to kind of further your point, he becomes the bridge essentially between the Attitude Era and whatever you want to call the era that came next. Yeah, uh, ruthless aggression, whatever. Um, he, because The Rock went Hollywood. He he was going no matter what. Like he had transcended the business mainstream, just like Stone Cold did. But he was the movie star, and he wanted to go that way. And he that's exactly what he did. But him and Stone Cold both leaving at the same time just left this incredible void at the top. And if Stone Cold sticks around. Maybe you don't see the guys like John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, Brock Lesnar taking those meteoric rises that they do because Stone Cold's still kicking. Or you can look at it from the other point of, well, they would have gotten to work with Stone Cold and it would have even made them even better than they were uh, earlier in their careers. So there's so many different ways to look at it. I mean, just look at you can even look at it from this point. There's so many wrestlers that have come back from retirement due to injuries. Edge, Daniel Bryan, Sting, just to name a couple. And they are at the top of their game right now. They, they honestly look better than they have ever in years. And that goes for all three of the ones that I just named. So if he was able, I mean, Sting is 62 years old, for crying yeah. out loud, right now. And he's still able to put on, like, not technical masterpieces but he's still able to put on a, a solid show um and so if if stone cold is able to wrestle for another decade or so i mean think of think of all i mean oh, think of all dude. the people that he could have wrestled and then I, I, like you said for sure he's already on the mount rushmore i think of greatest wrestlers of all time just because his character is like the regarded as the best of all time, but if he has another decade or so to add 
to his legacy. Uh, I think there's no doubt that he becomes the greatest superstar of all time. He, he in effect, becomes the GOAT, and it's not even close. And not only that, I think he, he reaches double-digit world title reigns because if he's working in the company for another decade or so, I mean, he's going to get the belts from time to time. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. So he'd get to that double-digit world title reigns in WWE that only a handful of wrestlers can say. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like I, was, like I kind of mentioned before, getting to work with the likes of Brock Lesnar, Cena, Batista, Orton, and even Edge, Rey Mysterio, uh, oh. the SmackDown Six. I mean, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, he. I think he had maybe one encounter with Eddie Guerrero in the ring. Um, that's just it. Just it blows your mind. The, all the superstars that he could have worked with had his career not been cut short due to injury. So uh, I, I just feel like he would have. He's already one of the goats, one of the best of all time. If if he had been able to to keep wrestling for another decade or so, I think there's no doubt in my mind he would have become just an abs the best ever to do it in the business. It would be worth it alone for just the sheer more amounts of him and Vince, those moments and that. Yeah. I just, there's nothing better than Stone, uh, Stone Cold and Vince just cutting a promo whether he's stunning them, you know, firing them uh, with water with a freaking fire hose or stunning both him and Shane McMahon at the same freaking time. Like, it's just amazing, dude. Like, it would have been so great. It would have been amazing. It's <laughs> unfortunate we'll never get to see it because I don't think he's ever, we're ever going to get that one last match. 56 Stone Cold. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to settle for WrestleMania 19 being his swan song. All right, just like we did in part one, we want to kind of dip into our our little neighborhood world of sports with the WBL. We kind of teased it on part one, but we're going to get into it here on part two. The captain's format era ended in 2020 with a championship matchup between yourself, Dan, and Zach. Yep. With... It had uh, it had some implications to it. Let's let's not sell it short. Zach going for his fourth WBL championship as a captain, which is which is and was uh, still far and away the most by any captain in league history. And then yourself going for your first not only WBL championship but league championship in general between the WBL and the FBL. Yeah. Ultimately. Zach, Zach's team was just too much for your team to handle. You, you kind of got curb stomped a bit, beat up pretty good, and Zach won his fourth championship. But what if you had beaten Zach in the 2020 WBL Captain's Championship game? So I think, you know, and, and that was a crazy playoffs. I mean, <clears throat> Just, just got hot at the right time, and uh, ultimately it just didn't pan out. Got line drived in the face on the mound. That was fun, um, and uh, yeah, I'd say what if I won the last captain's format championship? Uh, well, I think 
the first thing that comes to mind is I'd have more of a just going into the following Hall of Fame vote. I'd have more of a case. Not saying I'd get voted in, but I'd have more of a case because I think that championship is is something that you know, just like one of those like got to get the monkey off your back. And I think it would have. I don't know. It, it would have been a big relief stress for me. You know, like I feel it a little bit now after having won a, a team format championship, but winning that camp, captain's championship, just the way we were playing back, uh, back then, like just relentless, like so many games and just, just an absolute grind just hits a little different, but um, yeah, it, it, if I won that captain's championship, um you know, who knows? It, it might even, um, you know, reinvigorate Zach a, uh, a little bit just on, on his his game in general. Because, like, there's a stretch um, right around that time, I feel like, where he, you know, his play dipped just in, in general. Like, um, just wasn't having the same numbers or what have you. I know he had some arm issues and uh, I think some back issues as well. Um so maybe if he if he lost that, maybe he's even better than what we've seen in the last two years, um, which ultimately he hasn't been able to get back over that hump. So maybe losing that, um, and I'm all over the place. I'm sorry, but maybe losing to me reinvigorates him, and the and the snowflakes end up being that much better because he's you know whatever reinvested into his game that much more because. Losing to me in the last captain's format championship, I think that put a freaking I think that'd light a fire under his bum. I I think it would. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that last part. I mean, he definitely would be playing even more motivated than ever before. He had that uh, I think it was a rough 2019 season where his he kind of wasn't showing up as much due to personal reasons and and his inconsistency in attendance kind of led to inconsistencies at the plate, which we had never seen before from him. Right. Then in, in 2020, he, he, he seemed to be back to his usual self. The power numbers were starting to return. The, the batting average was back to where it usually was. And the numbers were pretty much there. Um, but if he had lost that year, um, I forget who won MVP. I'm going to have to look this up on the fly. But, I mean, if he if he loses that year, right, then I don't think it becomes a, a thing of, well, I, I need to – I feel like it just becomes a thing where he needs to – he feels like he's got more to prove, even though he really doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, I, he wins uh, – he wins. Uh, da, 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 da. He I, like I win MVP in 2020. Maybe, maybe I don't. If Zach's playing with a fire under his ass because he's he's not playing comfortably. Like he he wins the like if he if he doesn't win that maybe he goes into the team format and he plays even harder than he did. Like obviously he he, he was a stud for the snowflakes in the team format in 2020. But uh, maybe he, if he loses in the captain's format, he feels like he has to go out and do more. 
even yeah. more. Um, so I think that's a fair point to bring up. And maybe that means he gets another MVP award out of it. Um, who, who's, who's to say? I don't know. Um, but bringing it back to you, I mean, it would have been an absolute book for the captain era to end with you gaining your first league championship. Let's, let's just face it. It would have yeah. been a long time coming, and it would have been a storybook way to end that era in our league history. Oh, um, the, the, other, the other kind of thing that would be affected would be your bums title run in season two of the team format. I don't know. Do you think it would have been as sweet for you if, if you had won the captain's format previously? And I mean, obviously a league championship is a league championship. That's awesome. But would it have meant as much to you if you had already won a league championship as a captain? It just, it inherently wouldn't because like, let's be real. Like if I, if I won that fucking last captain's, uh, format championship game against Zach too. Like it just, and I know our team was going up against Zach's team too. And like, you know, that, you know, sort of the, the winningest captain, you know, in, in, in league history, I, I think that it wouldn't have been quite as sweet just cause like, you know, the first one, no matter what, like if, if I win, you know, if say, you know, just hypothetically, if we were to have another, team format championship and I won that that wouldn't quite be as sweet just because of that first one no matter what that's the best and especially in the captain's format just the way that was it was I felt like it was, it was almost like the wild wild west you know in terms of like you got a different team like every game and you just got to go out there and ball out no matter what and but yeah it just it wouldn't have been uh, quite as sweet to win the team format championship with the Beanfield Bums, but it was, you know, it was sweet as hell to, to win that and the way we did win it. But yeah, not 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 quite the same. You can't replicate the first time. No, I mean, winning the first ever WBL championship with you during the captain's format is something I'll never forget. I kept the jump <laughs> ball from that game. I have it. It with me here in Arkansas it sits on my desk, never, never going to leave my side. And then winning the first ever team format championship with the Hanks is also something I'll never forget because it was just so satisfying to be the first ever to do both. Yeah. Not, I can't, I can't lie to you that, that feeling of I, I have done it in both now. And I was the first to do it in both. Like that just not going to lie. That just, Big, big feel for me. Um, oh, no. That gives but, you the goosebumps. But um, the other thing that I think, and it's a, it's a low-key one for you, but I think the whole ride for DS mantra that the bums kind of adopted in season <laughs> two, I don't think that ever becomes a thing if you had already won a league championship going into the team format. No, probably not. Because, you know, it's, it's just, it's known. And then, you know, and for me as a player too, it's like the evolution of like just trying to get better, trying not to be the worst hitter in the league. And, you know, it like the last, you know, couple seasons, I've definitely, you know, found strides and improvements. And I, I think, it, you know, some of that culminated in uh, the season two championship. I've never pitched that 
that well in my life. And, you know, if, if Nick wasn't just a little bit better, man, like that was my Cy Young year. If I, if I were to ever have one, the, the last WBL uh, team format season, you know, that was my pitching anyways. That was like, I've never pitched better than that. Mm-hmm. Now there's another what if scenario for the WBL that we want to talk about. And as a league, we've talked about this, doing this for some time now. So this is more of like a futuristic than sort of changing the course of history scenario. What if the WBL actually hosted a public wiffle ball tourney? One where we're running the show. We, we have to organize everything. Maybe we bring, we do it. We work alongside like somebody, whether it's, uh, the little league in town in Rockland or, or with another league or something along those lines. But what, what if we did that, Dan? I think one, I think the turnout would be great. Cause I think we'd be able to like, it's one of those things where no matter like what this league does, when this league, like, cares about something and wants to like make something happen and wants to like do it and gets, you know, the competitive juices flowing. We care about things way more than any normal human being should. So we, you know, I know it, it would be something that, you know, whoever, you know, wants to be involved, you know, in our group that wants to be involved, will do everything to make it as good as possible. And I think that it would, it would go pretty well. I think we would need to do our rules. Like, I think that would be the best way to do it. Cause that's like, right. Like we're more, the most comfortable with our rule set. And I don't think it's that hard of a rule set to, to figure out, but. Yeah. I might, I think I got to jump in here. And disagree we, with you a little bit. We would have to trim some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cause I mean, we have every every league has their kind of uh, rules that are unique to them and whatnot, or um, or their gameplay is unique in its certain ways. But I mean, we we have, I mean, every not every league. Some leagues are, are incorporate base running. Some don't, but. I I'm not sure if the way we do our version of base running would be something that would easily translate to a public forum. Uh, I'm not saying that it would be difficult to pick up, but I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, we have our little nitpick rule of no hitbacks. I mean, obviously that would yeah. have to go. I, I think that's what you were sort of getting at, but uh, I, I'm not sure if, if the whole no, uh, if the whole base running thing would work, because then we'd have to, uh, uh, if, if we do it at like, let's say we do it at our home home base, which we play at the Rockland little league complex, those five fields are all a little bit different in terms of distances and whatnot. So the outfields are different, which means, or in terms of the, the length and size, so like we we play on the smallest of the league field and we have it set up so that the infield dirt for the baseball field is and that in the the grass line for the outfield that is essentially like the, the the infield like if the ball passes that mark it's it's a a ball in play it's not a foul ball 
uh, you can't really do that as well with the other four fields in the Rockland Little League complex. So then it becomes a, a venue thing. Do we look to play like at an indoor place? Like uh, what's it called? The Union Point place? Is yeah. That, that's what it's still called, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, we could look to play in there, uh, but I don't think you could incorporate base running in there if unless you uh, unless you made it uh, you didn't have as many fields. Like if you play without base running, you can condense the size of the field a bit and create more fields per se. Um, I mean, you saw you. I, I don't know if you were there for the at all for that last tournament that the Rockland Little League hosted for wiffle ball at the complex. But from what the video that I saw, it, it looked like they could have set up multiple fields on each baseball field. Hmm. Um, so, I, I mean. I, I think it just comes down to can we get a, a ton of early commitments from our league members in terms of being able to help plan it out and make it happen? And then where do we play? What venue? What are our rules? Are we doing base running or not? Et cetera, et cetera. Do we do age divisions or is it just one giant open division? Like how many teams can we as the WBL put forth into it? And then is it a, a free entry tournament and we're just trying to get our names out there? Is there a registration fee and that, that fee goes to charity or it goes to whatever group we're working with in tandem? Do we get a cut of it? Probably not, even though we're desperate for league funds. Like, hmm. do we get sponsors involved to kind of help chip in and, and pretty things up, so to speak? Um, there's so many things that uh, need to be taken into account and i probably have only scratched the surface there um, we we could probably do a whole damn podcast on on this one it's so it's so deep that's a, yeah you know. i mean do do other do just does it does and i i guess the, the next thing that we should ask about this is how much like you talked about how much attendance would be you think it would be a great turnout but my question would then be what kind of turnout do we get? Not so much in terms of numbers, but in terms of quality. Are we just getting a bunch of local area people that just, you know, they found uh, the listing on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, whatever social media we put it out for? Or are we just getting friends of friends to show up? And so it's just by word of mouth, some combination of the two. Or does our, or are we able to put out an event where we're actually able to get teams that aren't, totally local to come in and play do we get leagues from outside the the southern the southeast mass area to come out and play and participate like that would be something that i would be interested to see because if we can get our uh, leagues uh to to send teams that aren't exactly from around the area because we don't know of of many other wiffle ball leagues i know there's a couple on the north shore that exist and one or two in like Western Mass, Central Mass. If we could get those leagues to send teams to this tournament, and then maybe it becomes more of a instead of a local scale, it becomes more of a, a regional scale, maybe a New England type event. And then in years that follow, maybe it becomes more of a national scale. But obviously, that's that's wishful thinking and something that would take years and years to build. But that's something that I would, huh? 
The WBL Classic. <laughs> Andy. But it would, it would take a ton of time just to get there. Um, yeah. So well, Something to think about, though. Yeah. So I think in terms of a, a public wiffle ball tournament, I think it, it's something that w- if it happens, which I hope it does, it will need to start small and then slowly but surely kind of hope to branch out and have a, uh, a much further reach into the world of wiffle ball before uh, we can really m- make it into something big. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. And our last what-if scenario that we want to discuss and this is an interesting one. I'm not going to lie. I had to sit back and think about it. What if the MLB, Major League Baseball, had a salary cap? Everyone knows that most leagues have some format of a, a salary cap. The MLB really doesn't have one. They have like a luxury tax threshold where once you hit, once you spend way too much money on your team, you start getting taxed for it and there's tiers to it depending on how much over that uh, the, that luxury tax threshold you go over. But there, there is no salary cap. The teams can spend as much as they want as long as the ownership is willing to dish out the dollars for it. But in the other three major sports leagues, the NHL, the NBA, and the NFL, they all have salary cap, uh, and they have at least some sort of minimum threshold that each team has to spend. Whereas in the MLB, not only can teams spend as much as they want, but they can spend as little as they as they wish as well. So, Dan, what if the MLB had a salary cap? If the MLB had a salary cap, I think we would we would see. And I know I'm, I'm going to like a probably a different path than what you might think initially, but. I think we'd get a little bit away from the obsession with, you know, sabermetrics and advanced stats and all this, because like, I I think what has happened with that is like when you're a small market team and you can only spend like so much, or you, you can't spend like 150 million, you can't even come close to sniffing the luxury tax. um, You have to find creative ways to, to win and to improve. And so like, you know, the most obvious example is Moneyball back in the early 2000s with Oakland and Billy Bean and the spawn of, you know, like, you know, like serious number uh, crunching and advanced analytics. And I think you wouldn't see that as much in the game because it'd be more on a level playing field. And, you know, baseball is a great game of parody, even without a set salary cap. Like we saw the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series last year. Um, but I do think that it would be good, good for the sport in that like you wouldn't have teams like that go so up and down, like say the Red Sox, right? They've had so much success um, in this millennium, but they've also had plenty of horrible years because they overspend. They have to reset the luxury tax. They've got to get back under the CBT. They've got to do this and other teams tank for the draft picks because they can't spend the money on the open market. So they have to basically purposely lose a hundred games and all this shit. And you see teams that maybe will 
you know, be good for a couple of years. Like the Baltimore, uh, Baltimore Orioles had like a two year, uh, three year cup of coffee uh, a handful of years ago that they were decent. And I think you'd see more again. Oh, just it's very obvious, but a, more of a level playing field across the MLB and it'd be much better off for it. Yeah. I think just to rattle off the obvious ones here, if the MLB had a salary cap, it would include a minimum threshold and that that would force teams that are under that threshold to then come up and start paying either their players more or force them to sign free agents to kind of get themselves to where they're, they are at the minimum at or above the minimum threshold. Uh, so that would make things interesting because then you got teams like the A's and the Rays where, like you said, they can't do the money ball tactics. They, they've got to, They've got to at least pay their their players uh, a certain amount, and they can't get away with cheapballing things. But being smart while doing so, they they still would be able to be smart, but they have to spend more money while doing so. That so that would be interesting to see if the likes of the A's and the Rays could keep doing, uh, have as much success as they've had while being forced to spend more. Yep. Then you look at the the teams that are typically way above it. Uh, in terms of like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and so on and so forth, teams above that would have to find ways to legally stay above it. Otherwise, they got to cut payroll. And I think we know most often, more often than not, players are, are usually not willing to take uh, that are making a ton of money. Usually, aren't willing to take a massive discount. And so, having to finagle rosters to get under the salary cap or finding loopholes to stay above it. Uh, like some teams have been able to do in, in leagues, like NBA bird rights is a way to get over the salary cap, um, so on and so forth. But it'd be interesting to see if those kind of teams, like the Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, would they be quite as dominant? Would they be the organizations they are today? The easy answer is yes, because the Yankees won so many championships before a salary cap has ever even been considered. So they, they still have the name recognition, same with the Dodgers and the Red Sox to a degree. But would they be as dominant in terms of wins, losses? Would they be in, in dominant in terms of roster construction and how much talent they're able to assemble if there was a salary cap? And the one thing that I do want to add is uh, the luxury tax would definitely still exist. It would just be modified to be somewhere where near where the salary cap is. So that way you're still able to tax teams that go find ways to go over it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why like in the NBA, you know, with like the bird rights, like you can implement the, those same things into this set salary cap. Um, or you could even like, you know, like have like an NBA model where it's like a hard and a soft cap. Um, but like I just think they're they're like what they do right now, it's just it feels so barbaric. Yeah, I have to agree with that. The arbitration makes no sense to me. Like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I've never understood the arbitration system. It's ridiculous. And like the way they like the whole system, I feel like, you know, the way you're able to like hit free agent uh free agency and like it feels like it takes forever for that to happen. And like, we're at a point now, like when 
we when we're in the uh the off season now in the MLB, like the, the hot stove thing, I feel like has gotten less of a thing each year. Like guys don't get signed until like super late. It feels like like JD Martinez wasn't signed until like February, and uh, guys like Machado too. I'm pretty sure didn't get signed to the Padres till like very late in the off season. Like a lot of that stuff. Like, I just, I think it hurts. You know, if you give these teams an even playing field, you know, they're not going to be, you know, quite as stingy or unstingy. It's going to be more in the middle. And that could just be a lot better for competition because it's so top heavy. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it'll never be perfectly an even playing field because it'll always depend on how much ownership is willing to spend. You're always going to get the owners that are, are just looking to, to keep things in the green doesn't matter how much they have to spend or how little. Um, and so you'll always get the teams that are, that have the organizational beliefs like the A's and the Rays that are just trying to spend as little as possible while putting out as competitive a product as they can. Um, but if they're forced to spend more then maybe that talent gets, maybe that com- the on-field product gets even better. And conversely, for, uh, forces the team to then spend more because they're getting closer and closer to winning it all. But when you have the success where the Rays have had, where they get they continually, every so often, get pretty close to the World Series, if not into the World Series, and and getting oh so close to winning it all. Um, I mean, it's pretty tough to argue their ways and say that it's all of a sudden going to change just because a salary cap exists. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's fair. Like it, it won't ever be perfect, but like it could be better. Yeah. And like it, you can see it like with those certain teams, right. That don't spend, like they don't have great fan bases because they're small market and they can't spend. And, what have you and like they don't fill up ballparks and it it just it it all just contributes to you know just the the obvious narratives that that baseball has so yep well i think that's gonna do it for our our what if series for now Uh, i'm sure we can cook up some more of these situations and scenarios uh down the down the line rather um but do you have any final thoughts on our little what if uh, two part series here, Dan, before we sign off? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I just like that we covered pretty much a good variety. I feel like of subjects and sports and whatever. And, you know, we went in a lot of different directions. So I, I, I enjoyed it. Can't wait to do it again. All right. So that's going to do it for Dan Sadik. I am Ryan Brown. We will see you next time.